0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about a psalm. It will play in just a minute. Before it does, I want to let you know that we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions about something in one of our sermons, maybe you want to talk more about how it impacted you, or perhaps you just need prayer, you can simply visit creekside.me and you'll find all of the links you need to reach out to us. In fact, if you are someone who consistently listens to our sermons, but we've never connected, I'd love for you to go to Creekside.me right now and just contact us to say, hi, I listened to your sermons. We'd love to be able to say hi back. Again, thanks for listening to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, it's good to be here. It's good to see so many friendly faces. Now this is new for me, I usually do announcements. It was weird to see somebody do my job. Uh, if I look like a deer in the headlights right now, don't worry. That'll go away in like three to four minutes. Uh, I should be fine. From what I've heard, uh, public speaking is a bunch of people's like biggest fear. It's one of those fears that most people have, but not a lot of people are are willing to go up and face, right? So public speaking wasn't really one of my fears. But now that there's actual consequences, I don't know how I feel about it. But... Fears are very normal in human life. It's very normal for us all to be afraid of something. When I was younger, I was terrified of the dark. So whenever we had to go and go through like a corn maze, oh, I'd be terrified the entire time because it was dark out. I didn't like it. But our church youth group would always take us. It's one of those things that it was tradition, right? We have to make sure they go through the corn maze because if they don't go through the corn maze, what are we going to do on Halloween? So we'd always go through the corn maze. But normally, after one of our youth groups, we'd go home. Well, we'd get fast food, of course, because we're there. We'd go home, and my mom would be waiting for us, and she'd be watching one of two shows, Survivor or Criminal Minds. Now, Survivor is a great show, and we might all go and binge it afterwards, let's be honest, now that I've brought it up. But Criminal Minds was something that always scared me to death. I would, I would go home and I'd be like, yay, is Survivor on? Nope, just ended. Criminal Minds time. And there we, would, there we would start, because I was an elementary schooler. I wasn't going to go to bed at nine. I couldn't. This was my chance of the week. So of course, I stayed awake, and whenever the bad guy was doing what the bad guy does on Criminal Minds, I would try and hide. And if I was sitting next to my mom, I would try and burrow behind her on the couch, which didn't really work, I never really met success in that regard. But I remember that one time, I can't remember what episode, because I went straight to my room after it happened. But The bad guy did his thing, the good guys were talking, and they were like, we gotta catch him. And then it cut to the next scene, and I didn't know who it was, but I heard a knock on a door. And I was like, the bad guy would never knock. It's it's not what bad guys do. It's not how it's done. And then I looked up, and I was like, this is gonna be great. And it was the bad guy, so. So a kid opens the door, and he's like, hello, what do you need? And it's, it's a young kid my age, right? And the bad guy says, is your father home? And, well, I don't know what happened in the rest of the episode, but I can guess the father didn't end up happy. Because of my innate fear of all things scary, I would always look towards stories of happy winnings, where the hero would go and he'd save everyone. It'd be great, right? So, of course, I went to Star Wars, because Star Wars has cool stuff and laser swords. So. We'd be watching Star Wars and I'd just be super into it. But eventually I realized that, hey, maybe, maybe there's, there's other stories than Star Wars. Not many, but there's a couple. And then in church one, one day I started reading and I realized that, hey, throughout the books of the Bible, especially the early ones, it's, it's a story of a hero doing whatever is best for the people around him and he's helping everyone. It's not him himself getting better No, 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 no. the Bible is always very explicit when they fail. If the hero fails, then you get more attached to him, right? Nobody likes a hero that doesn't mean any any sort of failing. Nobody likes seeing a hero not grow. You want to see the hero grow through his failures and then become a better person for it. So you can look at Moses, who went and he lived as an Egyptian for so long, and then once he realized, I can't do this anymore, he goes out, and he realizes just how terrible his people were being to the Israelites. And then he goes to the desert. He runs away. But then he comes back, and he's a hero. But it's not the only time he messes up. He messes up time and time again, as, as humans do. We could look at David. David is, is one of the greatest kings to ever live. He's good to his people, almost all of his people. But he also messes up. And at the end of his life, when he wants to go and go to God and say, Hey, can I build your temple? God says, You can't because there's too much blood on your hands. So, David, of course, is, is super sad, but he says, Hey, am I at least allowed to get things ready so that my son can do it for you? Because my kids may not be exactly the same as me. And so, he goes and he gets the finest materials. And then Solomon, his son, builds one of the most beautiful temples to ever exist. Or we can look at Esther, who lived in a totally different universe than both David and Moses. She wasn't a warrior. She wasn't a conqueror. But she was in no less danger. She had to go and she had to save her entire people with her uncle Mordecai and make sure that, hey, because somebody messed up way back when, because some hero failed this is our job. This is, this is what we have to do. And so they make sure, and God preserved them. Now, Psalm 91 is my favorite psalm because it's, it's, not, it's not a psalm that says, hey, God is going to make sure that you don't suffer in your life at all. It makes it pretty clear that you're going to suffer. It makes it very clear that, hey, bad things are going to happen. But if you go to me, it's not, it's not just going to be about the bad. You'll be able to look around and see that, hey, you're not alone in this trouble, but you're going to be with me. And I think that's beautiful. So let's read it. So Psalm 91 starts off with, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God and whom I trust. Verse 3, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Verse 5, you will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction at noonday. Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With life long, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It's, it's a beautiful psalm, so let's go verse by verse. Verse one says, I'm gonna open my Bible, one second. Verse one says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now shelter here is much like a home, right? A shelter is a home, it's one of the three things necessary for a human to survive. You need shelter. You need to be safe. So, if you're going to God as as your shelter, as your fortress, as your home and refuge, you will be safe. It is the place you are safe in. And verse two, or the second half of verse one, says, "And you will, and he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. If." you're living in God's shelter, you're gonna abide by the rules of God. Cause that's, that's what you do when you're in somebody else's home, you don't go and turn everything upside down, despite how much it's, it's honestly really fun. But sh- shadow here is interesting, right? Cause I was afraid of the dark. So when it says shadow, wh- what do you mean by shadow? Does that mean I'm gonna be behind something? I'm gonna be hidden away? I'm gonna be locked in the dark? Cause I certainly don't wanna be locked in the dark because it's much less of a locked-in-the-dark than behind something greater than yourself. If so... So, the verse here really references the king, because it'd be as if it's the king. The Almighty is the king, of course, because the king of Israel is God but his anointed is the one who leads him. So it would be as if the king himself was in front of you. He would be there to protect you. You would be in, you would be behind the king. And the king, it'd be like a dictatorship, right? The king doesn't have any equal. The king is there. He is the top, right? So it's, it's not about, hey, is somebody higher than the king? No, no. If you are in the shadow of the Almighty, you are with the king. The king will protect you. If you are in his shelter, no harm will come to you. We can see that when David invites the last remaining of Saul's children to live in his house for all of his days. He is safe there. Verse 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, refuge and fortress were very important back then because it was a time of city-states where a couple months of the year were just the war times. You'd go and you'd steal everybody else's stuff because that's how you'd live, so that your people wouldn't starve. And if you were a person back then, you didn't want to live on the outskirts of a country, just away from everything. You wanted to be close enough to a city where you could seek refuge. And the cities were not like cities of today. They had huge walls and garrisons filled with men who are willing to fight and protect. That's what made, I apologize for speaking so loud, that's what made Nebuchadnezzar so terrifying to everybody. Because Nebuchadnezzar, if he took the city, nobody would be spared. And Nebuchadnezzar never failed to take a city. Because that is who Nebuchadnezzar was. He was the man who takes cities. It's why when Joshua takes Jericho, it's such a surprise, right? Because Jericho's walls are, are mighty. They're huge. They are almost insurmountable. But God says to his people, hey, just walk around. I'm in front of you. And those walls are falling down. And those walls fell. Verse 3. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. One of the reasons I really like these verses is because it uses such interesting imagery. It says the fowler. He who sets snares to clip wings. Now, it doesn't say that he's going to stop you from getting in it. No, 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 no. God makes sure that we learn our lessons because God is not just a God who will protect us. He's a loving God. He wants us to love him despite the lessons we're going to have to learn because as any good parent will attest, your kids got to learn. And if you tell a child, hey, don't touch the hot stove, he's going to touch the hot stove. So God, God is willing to say, hey, you're going to be in this situation. But if you ask, I'm going to be right here. I will, the fowler will not get you. You are, you are in the trap, but the fowler does not have you. I have you. The other word it uses is pestilence. The deadly pestilence now both traps and disease were two things that all of the ancient world had to be extremely careful about not just diseases in war times but diseases just at any time could cause an entire city to fall because they didn't have proper hygiene well unless they were following the rules written in leviticus but the moment that a disease spread they weren't scientifically advanced like we are they didn't have medicine to counteract every ailment. They had to make sure that the disease was not spreading. But this disease isn't a disease with bacteria or microbes. Or You can tell I'm not a biology student. It's, it's a corrupting influence. It's It's a spiritual disease. It's one that corrupts your very conscience. Something that makes it so that instead of Feeling something when you go wrong, you feel nothing, or you delight in that. The speakers are, are doing that, right? I'm not crazy. Verse 4 He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. Now, the imagery here is pretty interesting because it's like that of a mother hen. Uh, hey, everybody get close. We're all going to huddle together. And under my wings, nothing bad's going to get to the chicks. And we're a lot like ch- chicks because we don't, we don't know, we don't know the way of the world. We don't understand everything. We don't. We haven't seen this time and time again. It's, it's not like, like Kohaleth in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's the writer. He's, he's experienced. He's seen it time and time again. The cycle repeating. But we're new to it. And since we're new to it, we're going to need to be protected. We're going to need to be safe. We're going to need to be held because well as children are the one thing we need to know is that the mother is holding us and that he loves us his faithfulness is a shield and buckler is the end of verse four and i'm a big fan of well triumph movies as i stated in the beginning now i think it's super important we all know how important a shield is in combat because you would you and the guy next to you would form a shield wall, and the guy next to him would add on, and you would be linked. You would be stuck together, because that's how it was done. Because you would line up, and then you'd crash into each other, and if one spot fell, then it'd either have to be replaced or the line would fall. But before you started smashing into each other, they would throw things like miniature javelins. They're called, I think they're called darts. They're just big massive rods that if one was coming you could catch it not a big deal but before the two shield walls would collide they'd launch up hundreds of them so your shield would be up and if your shield failed you well then it's going to be a bad day because those darts while they aren't dangerous alone can take down an army if they don't have shields and so you need to make sure that your shield is, is strong. You need to make sure you can rely on it because it's not just maybe a matter of life and death. It is a matter of life and death. Because if your shield falls, then it's not just you that's gonna fall. It's gonna be the guy next to you. And if your line falls, if somebody doesn't replace you in the front, well, then you're all in trouble because the other side isn't gonna be like, hey, let's let them have a timeout they're going to go in, and your army will fall, and if your army isn't there to garrison your fortress, then, then it's going to fall too. Verse 5, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. You don't have to worry about the terror of the night, or the arrow that flies by day, but. Terror here is an interesting word because terror isn't just a, ah, scary. It's not a jump scare. It's, it's a paralyzing fear. It's the moment where you look at something that you know you can't beat, and you're like, guess I'm gonna stand here. It's like me in the beginning of my sermon. <laughs> it's really interesting because, well, if you're not gonna be terrified of it, well, doesn't that give you like a, a false sense of security? If you're looking at something that can very really take Everything away from you, you're just going to be like, haha, you have no power. But it still has that power, it just can't reach you because you've gone to your fortress, you've gone to your refuge. And I find it fascinating that it says, nor the arrow that flies by day, because an arrow in the middle of the day isn't usually alone but you can have some sense of security that, hey, it's not gonna come up here. It's not gonna go into my refuge, certainly not. You have, you have an unbreakable sense of security that the arrow will not meet its target because there's many things protecting you, whether it's the wings of the mother hen or the walls itself. nor the pestilence, or verse, verse six, sorry, small letters, Verse 6, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. It's just like the verses before or the verse before. You don't need to worry about the corrupting thing that's sitting in the back waiting for its chance. There are other things to worry about. If I went outside right now knowing that I'm fully vaccinated from smallpox and I was like, we got to be careful about smallpox, folks. It wouldn't make much sense, would it? Because I'm, I'm immune to it, right? I'm safe. So why would I worry about something that isn't here, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday? Nobody wants to have their lunch ruined by destruction, right? That'd be a bad time. All the food would go to waste. Now, I've, I have a quote here from one of the commentaries I was told to consult. The Baker's Commentary of the Old Testament Wisdom and Psalms sums it up beautifully. Israel does not need to fear the demonic forces, but if it does, they know that God is greater. If they're going to be focusing on, hey, what about what about this God here, the God of the Canaanites or whoever is there? God will be like, so what? What are they going to do? What are they going to do this time, huh? They've tried. They failed, because when you're with me, they will not get to you. They cannot come near you. Their God has no power over me. And if I want to, I will break its feet and force it. Force it on its hands, like he did to the God of the Philistines when the Ark of the Covenant was captured. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. But it will not come near you. War is a terrifying idea, isn't it? Nobody wants to go and live at the time of World War I or World War II, right? Nobody wants to think about having to go forward, even though you know that, hey, the guy next to you isn't going to make it. But it's interesting, because this isn't referring to just the normal man it's referring to the man who keeps his refuge in God. The man who is safe is the man who is with God. Now, the intent of this isn't totally clear. It's not a, this means this, it's a, this could mean one of two things. This could mean that next to you at your right hand is the enemy and God is wasting them all none of them are gonna get back up, like he's done so many times. But it also could mean your fellow man who is falling victim to the things that you are protected against from the deadly pestilence and the waste at noonday. It's troubling to think about, isn't it? It's troubling to think that, hey, the guy next to me on the bus or at work, because he's not with God, he may fall. But you will look, but, <clears throat> verse 8, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Now, nobody likes seeing a person in pain. It's, it's heart-wrenching, especially when you can't do anything about it. Nobody would say, hey, you know what, let's Let's go, let's go to the hospital and see if anybody's in pain. It'd be really weird, wouldn't it? You'd be there and you'd talk to a doctor and they would say the psychiatric firm is up top if you could go there. But there's also a security in this. It's the security that, hey, if you're with God, you're not, you're not with the wicked. You're not being judged with the wicked. If your refuge is in God, then you are not going to be taken away with the same punishment as the wicked, you will be spared from that. But if you are with the wicked, then you should be careful because the guy next to you at your left hand, if he's trying to tell you that God is coming for the people at his right hand, and you say, no, that's a good joke, well then, that's a joke that he should have taken seriously, isn't it? Verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge. Now this is super interesting because it shifts, the wording shifts from a first person to a second person. It's no longer I, it is you, you who are, because you who have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge. If you share if you share God and if you share God with the person, if you are both in that same refuge, then you're both kept, it doesn't matter who you are. It does not matter if you have gone out and said, hey, let's make sure that, that this is the way that it's done. No, if you're going to God as refuge, as safety, as the one place where you know that you are always safe, then the guy next to you who's also there He's also safe, because God will not be like, sorry, one person only. It's not a, only the anointed may stand in here. If you, if anyone. Verse 10, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Now, this is interesting, because the evil here isn't totally specified, but it's not, it's not a bad time, it's not suffering, it's, it's evil intent. The intentions of the evil forces of the world that are always trying, they won't be able to come near you, and the deadly pestilence won't come near your tent because you've made your tent in the refuge of God. It's not, it's not about where I'm at in the city, it's I'm in the city, which means everything outside, it could be gone. But I'm safe here. It's not a, wow, this place is bad. It's a, hey, no matter what happens, don't leave the panic room. Verse 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And verse 12, on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. The angels in this in this verse, the angels are the aides of God, the messengers we've seen. If if they're there with ill intent, if they're there to destroy, they will burn everything as they did to Sodom and Gomorrah. But if they're there to help you, if they're there to keep you from stumbling, then they're gonna keep you from stumbling. And stumbling is an interesting word to have here. I know that the ESV doesn't have stumbling, it has strike your foot against the stone but what does this stone mean? Where are you? Psalm 23 says God's going to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, but you're not going to fear any evil. But if you're walking through a valley and you strike your foot and you lose it, you're, you're going to go all the way down to the valley, the very bottom. It's, it's a matter of life and death. It's an urgent thing. And, strike, and the angels, the aids of God being there to help you make sure that you're not crossing that line and you're not smashing your foot against that rock that'll send you tumbling towards oblivion, then, then they're going to stop you. They're going to make sure that you are kept because you are a child of God and you are loved. Verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Lions, and snakes were probably one of the two scariest things to run across when you're not armed back there. Because the lion, well, it'll, it'll just maul you over. You can't stop it. The lion's bigger than you, it's stronger than you. What are you going to do? It is, it is a monstrous being compared to you. And the snake, well, it just needs one, one bite, right? If the snake bites you, well, I don't think they had antivenom back in those days. But it says you're going to go over them. You're going to stomp on them. You're going to walk past them. You will walk over them because they can't hurt you. You're safe. So the big things, the sins, the evil forces that are just ginormous when you think about them, well, you don't need to worry about them because God's got you. He's got your back. You are in his shadow where he leads you, follow, to stay in that shadow. And if it's over a lion, if it's over a snake, what are you going to worry about? You've got that, you've got that security. Verse 14. This is another interesting change. It doesn't go from I, you, we. It goes from I, you, and then as if God himself is speaking through the minister. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Now, names are a big deal in the Bible. Jesus of Nazareth, he was, that's how you identified him. He was of Nazareth. He came from there. That's how we know him. But when Moses asks God the burning bush, who are you? He says, I am who I am. And that's enough. Because the moment you realize that somebody has the power to say, I am who I am, and you don't need to ask more questions, then you've realized, they are who they are. I will protect him because he knows my name. They knew his name. The good kings of Israel, they knew his name. And when they didn't, well, they weren't the good kings of Israel when they didn't, were they? They probably weren't even kings in Israel for very long, because that's what happened. The plague came near their tent where they set it. And the bad kings realized that, hey, it's not going to be a very good campsite. Verse 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Normally when we think of serving God, it's God as master, right? We all think God is the master. But there's a weird switch here where God is saying, hey, I'm totally fine with helping you. You just need to reach out. I will be there because I'm already there. You just need to say the word and then I'm there because that is who I am. God will answer the call. God will be there when you're just a child scared of the dark. He will be there to keep you comp- company and comfort you. You will not be going through your troubles and your toils alone. And when you need it, when you're snuck, when you're stuck in the snare of the fowler, Well, God's going to be right there to rescue you. You'll learn, hey, don't touch the hot stove. But God's not going to yell at you and be like, hey, I told you not to touch the hot stove. He's going to be like, hey, let's run that under some cold water. Like, I warned you, you did it, but like, it's done, right? So just be careful not to do it again. Because he's compassionate, he's not going to take it out on you. Of course not. But he's going to make sure that you've learned your lesson. With, life long, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. A long life back in the days of Moses and in David weren't things guaranteed. The average life wasn't, I think it's 83 here in America right now. It wasn't that long. Especially men like David and Moses who went to the battlefield. It was to be expected that a young man goes to the battlefield. And, well, most of them, if things went south, they didn't come back. But when God says, with a long life, I will satisfy you, he means if you are here, if you are in the fortress that I told you to be in, if you are abiding in my shadow, then your life, however long it may be, you will be satisfied because you will have realized that it is worth it. and show him my salvation. It's not the salvation of the gods nearby Israel. It's not the salvation of some man who claims to be God. It is the salvation of God himself who, who has time and time again said, hey, if you do this, this is gonna happen. And then it happened. And when things went south, God wasn't like, you know what, I'm gonna give up on these people. No, when the people repented, God was there, and He said, it's going to take some time, but hey, I'm here, I'm listening, and you're going to be coming back. Your homes will be returned to you, your kingdom restored. Time and time again is how it happened. So what is this this supposed to mean to you? Well, the first thing you should remember is that it's my favorite song, of course. But if you're gonna remember that, then please remember that when you're trying and you're failing to find safety in whatever you're doing, when you're trying to find like a safe job where you'll never be fired because they kind of need you, if, if you're looking for that sort of thing, then you're probably not gonna find it on this earth. You're not gonna find any place where you're free of suffering and from evil and from all of the things in this world that are trying to do bad to you. But if you go to God, it's not uh, when I get to heaven, I'll be in God's presence. It's a, I'm already in God's presence, and through that I can find security. So do you think that through all this, like through whatever God would throw at you and say, hey, I think you can overtake this, would you go and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to God right now because that's where I need to be. Or would you think, hey, you know what? I'm the man of the house. I can take this on. I can take everything on, and I don't need to worry about it, because I'm strong. Because that sort of attitude is exactly what the poor kings of Israel did when they weren't with God. They took it on, and they fell. Why why doesn't it always seem like this, though? Why doesn't it seem like Hey, I'm with God, so shouldn't I be safe from uh, this? Safe from this evil? Safe from the grasp of things that want to do me ill? The Israelites didn't feel like that. They were captured time and time again. Their riches taken. Their temple destroyed more than once. They certainly didn't feel like it. But whenever things were getting dire, God would say, "Hey, don't worry." come to me, believe in me, that I am the only thing that will get you out, and I will get you out. I've done it to your forefathers. I did it with Moses. David beat Goliath, didn't he? And Esther? Esther had to deal with the entire Persian. Esther had to deal with the Persian royalty, making sure that she wasn't killed for approaching the king when she wasn't asked but God asked her to. And when God asked, she was safe. Let's conclude. In conclusion, God is our comforter. He is is what we run to. He is where we need to be. He is where we need to go every single time we are stuck in the fowler's trap. Who do we need to call out for? because there's only one person that's going to get you out of it. There's only one person that's going to make sure your wings aren't clipped. He is safety. And we're assured, th- we're assured of that through what Christ tells us. Christ says, Death, what is he going to do to you now? It's been beaten. Death has lost its sting, as one of the songs said earlier. Through Christ, we're saved. We see salvation. And in Christ, we'll live again in the comfort of God, in his refuge, where we should be in this life. In Christ, we can find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can all here today and thank you that we don't need to wear masks but we can enjoy each other's company once again lord lord i don't know the struggles in all of these people's lives i don't know many of them but lord you know and we lift them up to you lord in your name amen